There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to season four of Locatora Radio, Porcasteras Peligrosas, Wanted for Crimes Against the Patriarchy. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella archiving the brilliance and legacies of women and femmes of color. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. And we are Las Mamis of Myth and Bullshit. Las Locatoras of Locatora Radio. A radiophonic novella. Which is just a really extra way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, Welcome back. It is now capítulo 77, 77, but the second episode of season four. Super excited to be talking with y'all today to be recording today we have an amazing guest for the second half of the episode so before we get into today's content we wanted to remind y'all that we are on patreon and we have some new incentives um, on the patreon and next month or this month february we're having our first meetup with our locamores anonymous which is our 25 dollar tier so we're going to be scheduling we're going to be planning a meetup with our patrons 
And we're super excited that we get to meet y'all in person. And it's going to be cute. It's going to be fun. So... Just as a reminder of what different incentives we offer on our Patreon. Mm -hmm. So it's everything from access to our newsletter, access to maybe our close friends list on our Instagram live story. If you want to be invited to a bunch of different cute little meetups and events with us, that's its own tier. We also eventually are going to have ad-free listening and advanced listening as tiers on the Patreon. So check it out. Head to patreon.com. Mm-hmm. Look at the Look at Letter radio page and support. Yeah. And if you're already a patron on Patreon, then you know that you got access to our first episode of the season three, four days before everyone else did. So you get first dibs at our capitulos and you get first access to everything that we're talking about. Absolutely. And again, reminder, support, you know, Indie Latinx podcast, supporting the Patreon is a really good way to do so. And it's a growing trend among podcasters Mm -hmm. um, to even have entire podcasts behind a paywall on Patreon. Right. So it's kind of the space that we need to be in. We're excited. We want to thank Patreon also for helping us out in relaunching our Patreon. They've been really supportive and we thank you all who have already signed up. Yes. And also a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, I'm going to put that link in our description so you can subscribe. You get automatic alerts as to when the podcast, the new episode airs. You also get some behind the scenes footage and photos and all of that. And you're also going to hear like what we're into that week, music that we're liking, maybe books that we're reading. So some additional content that you're not going to get anywhere else, but you will get it on the newsletter. And um, the newsletter is called Besitos. It's super cute. On brand. Mm -hmm. Cute updates, photos, all kinds of cute stuff. So check that out. Yes. And in other news. In other news, if you follow us on Instagram, we Mm -hmm. shared this really funny post. And it's an ad for birth control. It's a vintage ad. And she's like fighting off a stork who's trying to deliver a baby to her with her parasol. She's like trying to fight off a stork with her parasol. Right. So it's really funny. And what does the caption say on it? And the villain still pursues her. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a birth control ad, a vintage one. So we posted that. So we posted it and we got amazing feedback. So we asked, for those of you on birth control, do you love it? Do you hate it? If you've yeah. had experience using it, what did you like about it? What didn't What didn't you like about it? And, of course, we got a variety, an array of answers. So we just wanted to go through and share with you, yeah. with y'all, some of what we heard and read. A lot of you have um, some hilarious experiences with birth control, oddly enough, and then a really mixed bag. You know, yeah. some people absolutely love their birth control. Some people feel like it's made their life way better. Other folks have really struggled with finding birth control that works, which I think is like speaks a lot to not only this experience of trying to control the birth, like it can be real hard, but also like the available options out there are not always that great. They're very, they can be very invasive. mm -hmm. They're also hormonal. Um, And then just birth control itself has a very dark history. Mm. It was used or created, um, And it was tested on women in Puerto Rico without their knowledge. So they had horrible side effects. Many of them were sterilized. It has a very dark history. Right. Um, And it's not uncommon or it's not new that medical tests and medical innovations have been used on women of color, especially black women. So it's also important to contextualize birth control's history. And I know that there are a lot of folks that 
don't want to use it for those reasons or mm-hmm. they don't like that it is hormonal and it's quote i've i saw this a lot it quote unnatural to your body or harmful to your body so it really is just very personal and like what works for you oh yeah for you sure know, i like i had told mala when I was starting a new pack of my birth control and I was like, a pill a day keeps the baby away. <laughs> True. <laughs> Trademark. Fact. Putting that on a shirt. Nothing but facts. Um, so yeah, a pill a day keeps the baby away is my current mindset. And I don't love birth control. Um, I have like been struggling with the current the current one that I'm using when I first was on it, when I was first on the pill. Um, I had I was incredibly nauseous and I like was even with Mala and I just started getting sick I remember that yeah I remember that it was awful so I was like really sick for like the first month that I transitioned Mm -hmm. to the birth control pill um and so yeah it's been hit or miss I haven't found exactly the one that I like but I know that like I don't want to do an IUD Mm -hmm. I've done the implant and it was awful Mm -hmm. I had a period for like months on Mm. end like it would just not end Mm -hmm. it would never end so that was horrible um, but yeah, I mean, there, then there are folks that said like they love the implant, that it's been so beneficial for them. And some folks love the IUD. So yeah, it just really is again. It really <laughs> is. I mean, I love my implant. I yeah. have the next plan on implant here in my arm. And I mm-hmm. mean, I got it put in. I didn't have any bruising. I had no bad like physical side effects. I mean, I, I know that the hormones have an impact on me, but as far as like, um, effectiveness and ease and just mm-hmm. working with my body. I have loved my implant. I used to use the birth control pills, mm. but I just can't be consistent with it. And it's like dangerous for me yeah. because I'm like not going to be consistent with it and it's not going to work. Like right. it's not going to be effective. So, but then I have, you know, homegirls who have like tried the the implant and like the body has just kind of rejected it. Yeah. It's really not for everyone. Yeah. Like a homegirl of mine, she was like going through it. She like, didn't get the implant but she had she was thinking about no she did get the implant so she got the implant she did the nuva ring she did different variations of the pill she like did everything but like maybe the shot Hmm. you know like the depot shot yeah yeah and like it's just hor. the side effects are horrible it speaks larger to the medical industrial complex and women's pain and bodies not taken seriously and just an afterthought and all of those things because there was like an article about uh, male birth control like they had to halt the research and the study because the side effects were what depression <laughs> bloating oh weight gain really? like anxiety really now yeah okay mm-hmm. got it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but not for the men exactly so not halt the, the study God because forbid. the men are in pain and here's the thing that's wild right is that a lot of birth and this is true i think of medicines that are made available on the market across mm-hmm. the board but on the, the topic of birth control, these different methods are tried in trials on a certain number of people, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean they're done fully testing them when they make them available for use. Right. Like the, even the, the next plan on implant, I've had it in for like three, mm-hmm. four years now. And each time I go in to ask about it, they tell me oh, well, you know, it's still in trials and it's still in testing. And actually, you can leave it in for another year. Like, that's what we're finding. So things get put into our bodies and they're not actually even done testing them. And they're constantly finding out new things about them. Yeah. So that's like fucking wild to me to consider too. Yeah, well, because even the implant, there were like cases that it would move. So people were like finding it in other parts of their bodies. Like it didn't stay put. You can feel it. 
Can I'm it? sure you can. Hold on. I haven't. I haven't checked for it. I haven't checked. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yes, there. there. <laughs> it was so funny because when I had mine taken out, God, no, I'm oh like, my god, when I had mine taken out, it took like a good forty minutes, fuck. and they were just digging in my arm. Sorry oh, yeah. if that's like no TMI or if Love that gave you a weird sensation. But they were. And I just laid there and I was like, oh, my God. And they were like, wow, you're a trooper. Like, I can't believe you just did that. But I was about to be like, you know what? Just leave, leave it, it there forever. I give up. It's not coming out. Forget it. You know what? It's done. I'm keeping it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so much. My, so much. Although my favorite answer of all the answers and all the responses has been the women saying their husbands got vasectomies. Hell yeah. Snip, that snip, has been bitch. 100% my favorite response because... Like, the pain is real. The trial and error is real when you're on birth control. It can really fuck with your sex drive. Yeah. It, it can, like, so many different things mm-hmm. can happen when you're on the pill or any form of birth control. So, shout out to the husbands out there and the partners that are getting Do vasectomies it. so Team that their player. partners don't have to worry about it. A vasectomy is, like, minimally invasive. It is. Okay. It is. And, like, if a person with a uterus like gets their tubes tied like it's like a recovery you know it's not just a simple little snip like it is for you know the men or the folks yeah vasectomies Mm -hmm. for all to be honest Mm -hmm. that's my that's my motto (laughs) vasectomies for everyone president (laughs) that would be our campaign vasectomies for all (laughs) free vasectomies yes (laughs) i'm fucking dead love it I would like, if I were to be a doctor, I would mm-hmm. like to specialize in vasectomies. You know what I mean? Like, that's all you would do. Like, that's all I would do. Like, <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, right? <laughs> For the greater good. Yes. For the greater good. I love that. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, so yesterday I went to go see Little Women. Okay. And it was very cute. Um, shout out Greta Gerwig, um, you know, and all that good stuff. It was cute. It was cute, like, white feminism. Yeah, you know I was I mean? going to say, I've heard a lot of critiques about it. It was cute, though. It was, like, a cute little book. I mean, book. It was a book. It, it, is, a it book is a book. That has been adapted uh-huh. a couple times now uh-huh. into a film. This yes. is not the first go at Little Women. No. But here's what Wouldn't got it have me. been cool if they had made it, like, super, like, POC? I don't know. People have been writing about that, right? Yeah. Like, it's okay for Little Women to be about white women. The problem is not inserting people of color into little women it's like can we have our own stories yeah. give, given platforms no absolutely because like mm-hmm. we've talked about how the remakes are tired but it's like oh, yeah. okay if we can if we are doing the remakes can we re-envision them mm. so that there's people of color because it's it's like the colonial films it's like oh there were no people of color it's like and there oh, were. white people <laughs> and there were you would think that oh okay there were no poc there but there were right you know anyway revisionism. yes so Going back to what you were saying. Yeah, no. So here's my thing. Um, I wasn't, I didn't really walk out of Little Women with a critique of the film and like white feminism per se. What I did walk out of that film um, with was shock that that was Timothy Chalamet. Like I didn't actually know who this Timothy guy was. And then at the end of the film, I see the credits and I, and then I asked my friends like, oh, he was in this. They were like, yeah, he was the main guy, like the main love interest. And I was like, this is your king? <laughs> this? This is Timoteo Chalamet? Like, I hear all these things. I hate you. He's like the heartthrob. <laughs> He's like the heartthrob. And I'm like, this? That, that's all. That was really my only critique. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> when we were young, our, heartthrob, our heartthrobs were like Chad Michael Murray mm-hmm. and Hayden Christensen 
and like and like even Will Smith like hotties like baddies yeah. like zaddies and then here's little Timoteo all skinny and stuff it was disturbing to me it's, you know I was I was like sad for this generation of young women that this is like mm. this is their king <laughs> I don't know girl that's all I have to say I don't even Probably know who critique. that is I'm just nodding along with you <laughs> It's for the best. Yeah. It's really I for really the best. Don't. I'm sure. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Sure, I sure, no sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Ay, Dios mio. I feel like other things have happened in the world. Oh, American Dirt. Um, oh, yeah. The, the controversy we've been following um, silently from our corners. We've been following mm-hmm. silently, watching everything unfold. Uh-huh. Shout out to all the Latinx writers that have been in the thick of it. We're with you. Oh, yeah. We love you. We support oh, yeah. you. Like, whew. Miriam Gurba, who's yes. been super active, a.k.a. at Less Brains on mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, Miriam, famously now, wrote the first actual true mm-hmm. critique of the book, calling it out for the stereotypes, for the shoddy writing, yep. for the inaccuracies, just for it being a poorly written yeah. work and claiming to do all this social justice heavy lifting. Yep. When in reality, we have uncovered now mm-hmm. that it's much more than that. It is sort of like a farce. It is inaccurate. There's plagiarism, like having lifted exact yes. stories from, um, you know, immigrant writers, from Latinx writers like Luis Alberto Urrea, uh-huh. right? Yeah, um, and that was so, I was going to touch upon mm-hmm. that. Um, when Luis was talking with Maria Hinojosa of Latino USA, because she did an amazing job covering it, she, he talked about how... Um, Janine Cummins in her book like lifted a story from his novel and when he was talking about how frustrating it was that his it took 10 years for his novel to be published Mm -hmm. and that publishers would send it back with horrible racist comments about how he should change his name nobody cares about brown people like this is never going to get published so to see like the actual Latinx writers Central American writers South American writers Caribbean writers not being published for years on end or even ever and then to see this seven-figure deal written by a non-Mexican someone that identified as white up until I don't know 2016 literally said by all measures my family is white so you know people came for her um Mariana Hosa interviewed her basically <sighs> called Queen. her called her out and called her in about the yeah. the things that have been taught, you know, the discussions, mm-hmm. right? The plagiarism, the appropriation, yeah. all these things. I found Janine's responses to be super weak. Yeah. Um, I think she did a lot of predictable white woman tear type shit. Her voice yeah. was shaky and all that uh, from the beginning. She was like, she was like, from the I beginning. never want to write again. It's like, okay, and, then. And she goes, she goes, yeah, you know, my next book was already sold, but I don't even want to write. Bitch. What? This one just got published. Pobrecita, right? And the rumor is, just like from what folks have been piecing together, is that her next novel is going to be about Puerto Rico. No. Because she claims she has a Puerto Rican grandmother. Well, she does. But that's her claim to Latinidad, is that she has a Puerto Rican grandmother on one side. Got it. Um, And then folks dug deep and did research on who the Puerto Rican grandmother was. Who was she? She was a upper middle class Mm -hmm white puerto rican mm-hmm. in puerto rico mm-hmm. and there, there's more to it but like oof, girl the detective work that has been happening oh, people are on it media people are in it people are on it but you know i mean it's like look first of all we talk about how um survival of the fittest 
and capitalism may the best one win this that and the other but when folks get upset at the injustice the economic injustice in all of this Mm -hmm. it's painted as sort of like a petty reason to be upset Like, it's not a valid reason to be upset about the seven figure Mm -hmm. payout that she got from Flatiron Books, which is the publisher um, in this situation. But it's like, no, like we're in a capitalist society. Books equal currency. Mm -hmm. Like these are things that are being monetized. We we should talk about the money. The money is important. There is still a wage gap and there is a wage gap between white women and women of color. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's going to be a wage gap in publishing when the number that we've been hearing is that only 6% of Latinos are like active in publishing. Mm -hmm. Right. Or 6% of publishing is Latinx. Yes. Well, and then, Okay, so there's all this critique, right? And then the folks that are coming to her defense are like, oh, um, you know, we shouldn't be censoring. They're making it about censorship. They're making it about, oh, other writers shouldn't be critiquing writers. Like, this whole thing, which is weird, because why wouldn't you hold your colleague accountable? Number one. But I say all of this because all of this is happening online. Her book tour is canceled because they're, quote, in fear of her safety, her book is still number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Okay, so keep that in mind. Still Oprah's book club. It, Oprah did not wane. She still kept it on her list. And she says she's going to have a dialogue in April on Apple TV. Uh-oh. So I'm like, <laughs> who has Apple TV? Do you have Apple TV? I do not have Apple I don't Apple have TV. Apple TV. I have Apple TV. Am I going to get it to watch this? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. But the if point. If someone wants to lend us the, there. The point is like, I don't know. You could do that shit on IG Live. Where the dialogue is happening or on Twitter where the conversation is happening. So here's my other deal. Look, so um, migrants are being abused and persecuted Mm -hmm. and detained unlawfully and indefinitely in for-profit detention centers. Like our folks are truly suffering in real horrific ways. And Latinx writers have been documenting these abuses for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is an active reality, like, on the ground. The La Frontera has always been and continues to be a war zone. And that can be the U.S.-Mexico border, the Mexico-Guatemala border. Like, borders in these Americas are violent spaces. And she has, like, proven herself to be foreign to these spaces, foreign to the narrative, to the experience. And it's just fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, it's not cool. And look, okay, so you want to enter the conversation? You want to be in the dialogue? The dialogue is already heated. The dialogue mm-hmm. is already tense. The community is already up in arms. You walked into the fire. The fire was already here. Yeah. Don't be surprised. Like, this is the app, This is the venue that you want to be in. This is the community. Mm-hmm. And this is the feedback that the community is going to give. So if you can't yeah. fucking handle it and yeah. you're not prepared and equipped, you shouldn't enter spaces that you weren't invited to and that you don't know how to, like, act in. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because our community will hold you accountable. Oh, <laughs> like clearly, as we've seen. Yeah. Listen, we 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 are very careful to stay in our lane mm-hmm. with a lot of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Freedom of speech and expression and, and, and pushing the boundaries and pushing the envelope. All of those things can happen. But you also don't have to be like willfully ignorant mm-hmm. entering into the convos. And if there's backlash because you have stepped to a community in a really disrespectful way, that that's part of it that's part of it so either you want to be a part of this or you don't this is what it is Mm -hmm. you know i don't know part of me is like that's what bitch (laughs) you want to be latina you want to be latina welcome (laughs) (laughs) i don't know Uh, i don't know i don't know but well shout out to maria you for really like putting a really good 
set of interviews together also, on the topic. before we leave this topic, I just want to say, because a lot of us know already and, like, knew this deep down and are lamenting and are heartbroken by Sandra Cisneros. Dude, bitch, yeah. girl. <laughs> Dude, bitch, girl. Dude, bitch, I mean, like, in every way, where to even begin? Like, where to start? No. Sandra, why, though? <laughs> I mean, we know why, we know kind why. of. But also, why, though? I mean, you know, in her interview with Maria Hinojosa on um, Latino USA, Sandra was talking about how she herself knew that her work wasn't going to get into certain hands and reach certain audiences because of her Spanish surname and her identity as a Chicana, Latina, Mexican-American. However it is, she has identified over the years, right? You know, so she, she knows that there are barriers in publishing. She knows. She knows. She's dealt with them herself. Why push into it? Well, what was pointed out is that Sandra Cisneros and Stephen King, mm -hmm. who have actively spoken out in favor of um, Janine, that they're both, you know, published under Macmillan, which is like a subsidiary or an umbrella of Flatiron Press. Mm. So there's like a professional connection there that I don't want to make yeah. excuses for her, but I can totally see how no, that's real. her input here is based on that's her publisher. Yeah, no, that's real. That's real. Um, Still points to the issue of whiteness in publishing. Yeah, exactly. That you feel like you can't, I don't know how Sandra truly feels. Maybe mm -hmm. that is how she truly feels, but if there's any kind of professional pressure, yeah. it's because of the overwhelming whiteness right. of, of publishing. publishing, of the industry. Yeah, and I think Maria Hinojosa, I mean, she is just so tactful and fierce simultaneously. Queen. It's, it's amazing to listen to and engage with. Fucking queen. Um, but I, I just love the way she asked questions so that the folks could really just tell on themselves because she's like, Sandra, don't you think? Right. You know, and she'll ask the question that way. And then Sandra's like, yeah, it, it could be. Could be. You know, it could be that other people are making as much money, and that's why people are upset. Maybe could I'm be. screaming though. I'm not saying yes or no. I'm saying it could could be, be. <laughs> potentially, allegedly, 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 allegedly. But I was screaming. I was dying when I was listening to the interview, and Sandra was like, "Girl, go write a poem." Oh, girl, <laughs> I was like, my mouth dropped. My mouth dropped. That shit was wild. Oh, oh no. Um, <laughs> write a poem. Did you write a poem, Mala? I have not written a poem. I haven't been angry enough to write a poem, I guess. I'm just over it. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> it is yeah. what it is. It's chill. So that's been the drama recently. That's been the literary scandal of 2020. Let me just say that 2020 is already a mean old bitch of a year. Like yeah, girl, it's barely February. Like what? Wasn't didn't I say on the last episode that January has been the longest month? Already. It's true. <laughs> it's I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what the fuck. I mean, between American dirt, that's been on fire. Um earthquakes in Puerto Rico, uh fucking the passing of Kobe and Gianna Bryant you know, and the complexities of that experience. And for me, to be honest, it's almost like this is the great tragedy in some ways of toxic masculinity and rape culture that it's so pervasive that all of our greats, all of our favorites, all of our leaders, our relatives are just so capable of being amazing and outstanding and brilliant and simultaneously monstrous and violent. Oh, yeah. And we're constantly in this tug of war emotionally of recognizing and holding men accountable for their violence. And, and in this Kobe, in this case with Kobe, um, history of sexual assault, 
reckoning with that while also embracing them as human beings that we love. Right. Because it's not just the celebrities, it's the men in our lives and our fucking families mm -hmm. and the men we date and good God, the conversation we just had before we started recording about a monstrous man in someone's life. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. right. I mean, there's still a mourning that happens regardless of who, of what that person has done. There's still a grief process, you know? And yeah, I mean, it, it is a, if you're in LA, you know it's affecting lots of people. There's been like a very weird funk and energy this past oh, hell week yeah. and just being in L.A. When the yeah. news about Kobe broke, I cried all day. Yeah, my, I found out because Mala texted me. Mm-hmm. I saw it on Twitter. It was like the news broke or the plane went down like at 10, 11 a.m. I saw something at 12 noon. Yeah. You know, TMZ and then other stuff. Like, it was, like, fresh mm-hmm. happening. And the way it happened was so horrific. And the way that they had to go and, and clean up the crash site and collect everything and everybody's remains and, like, mm-hmm. fucked up. And I, I was thinking about the fact I was born in 92. Kobe started playing in 96. He played for 20 years. I have never known a Los Angeles without Kobe without Bryant. Kobe. Never. Never. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a figure. And for this tragedy to come so soon after Nipsey Hussle, mm-hmm. I mean, the city has not recovered, recovered. from that. No, and Deep then morning. especially like the same day that he died was also the Grammys, which is when they were doing a tribute to Nipsey. And then it also have, you know, now including a tribute to Kobe and it just everything being so fresh, fresh. People are in pain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, the fact of, of Vanessa, Vanessa Bryant and three of their three of their daughters surviving them. Mm-hmm. I think they had four daughters four. in total, a mm-hmm. newborn Capri. So it's just super sad. There are going to be memorials outside of the Staples Center for a long time. Yeah. Like people are going to gather. New murals are going up. New murals are going up. It's just, you know, and and the city, like we very fiercely like love our idols. Our proximity to Hollywood, to industry, to everything here. There's it's I don't know. Celebrities are just such a big part of our day to day lives. Yeah. We know them and they're like there's a closeness there, Mm -hmm. even though we don't actually know them as people. You know, it's wild. Love to L.A. Yeah. Love to L.A. Love to Vanessa and the girls and the other families that lost their lives. Yeah. So transitioning. There's Mm -hmm. no way to make a smooth transition after that. No. So transitioning. Now we're going to bring on our guest. We're going to play some new music by her. Uh, We're really excited to introduce and, and chat with La Mera Candelaria today. La Mera Candelaria was formed in 2017 by Bay Area musical transplant Stephanie La Mera Candelaria who has been performing as a front woman vocalist since 2008. Her music is a blend of Colombian-style cumbia and Cuban son, featuring only live instrumentation and a small lineup, of which lend to a unique sense of throwback to older traditions of Latin music. A few of her most notable past releases include Preséntame a tu hermana, a sassy, danceable anthem for the spectrum of sexuality and women's sexual empowerment. She is dropping a new album. We're going to be chatting with her today about this new album and an upcoming event that, that she's going to be hosting here in L.A. So up next, we have La Mera Candelaria.
All right, everybody, welcome back. And without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce, to bring on the amazing, the wonderful La Mera Candelaria. Hey, hey girl, What's welcome. Up? Thank you. I'm so excited. Thank you for joining us today and for coming out to Radio Espacio for an interview on Locatora. We um, have worked with you in a number of different ways out and about in the city, um, here in L.A. at different events like La Junta's The Tardeada, mm-hmm. um, Cumbiaton. We introduced you and your band at their last Women of Cumbia party at the Echoplex. At both yeah, women, so we have history. We go way back. <laughs> so thank you for being here with us today. Um, can you introduce yourself for all of our listeners? Yes, of course. Uh, my name is La Mera Candelaria. I have a group here in Los Angeles. Um, we do kind of a tropical fusion of cumbia and son cubano. Um, we've been around for going on three years now. We're about to drop an album um, called Si Reina. So I'm super excited to chat with you guys about stuff and about the album <laughs> and all that good stuff. So yeah. That's me. Yeah. So you're, you have a single yes. called Sirena, yes. which I love. Thank you. And I saw you perform it at the last Cumbiaton, which was last year, yeah. the Women of Cumbia. And it would, it's so, it's so great because you can just feel the energy of like, fuck the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And I love that about that song because you say something like, por donde vaya en la calle, me quieren preguntar por mi mm-hmm. número de teléfono. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to get it. Nope. And I love that. <laughs> and and that's really the energy behind your music, right? Like, I'm yeah. going to look fine as hell for myself, yeah. right? I'm also going to, you know, be queer while doing it. And it's for me. And, you know, and it's for, like, the other women that I'm around. So can you talk about that and how you introduce that or how you play with that in your music? Sure. Um, So it's actually the most important part of this project. Um, As a Latina who's been doing, you know, cumbia and Latin music for over 10 years now, um, you learn a lot about the dynamics of uh, machismo, obviously within our community. I mean, we grew up with that, but then as well within the Latin music industry specifically. And so like, I started to develop this sense that maybe this music wasn't as inclusive as we think it is. And, and it's cumbia especially is so universal and so much a part of our stories and our communities. Um, but at the same time, there's not a lot of room for, um, for like feminist conversation and dialogue within that style of music. It's very male dominated as an industry anyway, but even the topics that come up in different songs are either like, a lot of objectification or like shaming that happens. Um, and then even the women within the industry, um, not to say that there's not a lot of innovators, you know, women making Latin music, but I feel like there's a, a sense of like restriction to the kinds of topics that you as a, as a Latina musician are allowed to discuss in your music. Um, so for example, like I love Selena. Selena. She's like one of my heroes, but you look at the topics of her song and if you put it through the tests, like, there's maybe one or two in which she's kind of lashing back at at patriarchy and machismo. And the majority of her catalog is like really like love songs, traditional, like, you know, it's just this box that a lot of women are confined to. So when I started this project, it was really important for me to kind of use this music that is really important to our communities, but kind of use it in a way almost like fighting from within. Um, so turning it on its head in terms of content, what we what I speak about in my songs, um, so yeah, things like Sirena, um, 
definitely about the male gaze and also this whole idea of male entitlement. Like it kind of that song actually started a lot angrier than it ended up being because like the issue of catcalling, um, mm-hmm. both on the streets and in the clubs or even online, like is such a huge issue. And I've actually done a couple of posts about that. Um, but so I decided like, you know, the best way to tackle difficult topics, especially things that are so entrenched in our culture, um, is not through standing on a soapbox and like speaking down to people because nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Like the best way to, for me that in my experience to really open up dialogue about things is to do it in like a funny way and a fun way and something that's going to make you dance. And like, at the same time that you're like doing a vuelta, like, Oh dang, she just said that. Like, that's kind of interesting. I never thought of that. And so, yeah, like Sirena as a song and then as an album kind of started from a really like a place of a lot of, you know, just anger and, and bitterness about the experiences that w- that we have to go through as women every single day. Um, but turned into more of an anthem for like female empowerment and like, it's okay to say no, it's okay to not consent and to be a boss like for yourself and for your community of other women rather than doing things because you feel that you should, or you feel that you'll be punished in some kind of way. Beautiful. I, um, I feel like on the podcast, we're super about transforming nightlife and reclaiming nightlife, especially for queer folks and mujeres. How do you feel like lyrics and music can contribute to that process? It's so important. I mean, as I was kind of touching on, like, we're, your brain is actually more receptive to information when you're having fun, like when you're experiencing something positive. So things like dancing and music or any other type of art, but as a musician, obviously, that's what I gravitate towards first, um, are such great spaces to introduce new ideas and to introduce new dialogues about certain kinds of things because like physically your neurons are responding to positive stimulation, nice sounds, um, dancing like all of these things that are happening to your body make your brain actually react to things in a different way than if we were maybe just sitting down and talking separately that's like really really interesting to think about the brain science behind dancing it's and music real and it's so real yeah because you know so often we talk about the healing in dancing and 100 percent, like that is a really big part of movement and even just feeling like you're inside of your body and you're present and you're sharing space with other people and there's so much joy in that. But thinking about the neuroscience yep. behind it and how important that is to be receptive and how it's just really going to seep in there. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me think of the fact that it's almost like subliminal messaging that <laughs> yeah. we're not necessarily thinking about when we're going out for a night of fun mm-hmm. and maybe we're drinking or we're smoking or whatever it is we're doing and we're trying to let loose and not be so in our heads, mm-hmm. but the messaging is still seeping into our heads. Yeah, like- you're listening. You're listening. Like you can't shut that part of your brain off. So yeah, yeah, you're dancing, you're having a great time with the homies, whatever, but like then all of a sudden you hear some singer being like, Presentame a tu hermana and I'll get so many looks of people like in mid turn and they're like, What did she just <laughs> did she just say that? And people will like stop and like and Mouth they think open. about it. They think about it. Can you talk about I love that one. Can you talk oh, about one of my favorites? The Presentame Tu Hermana and yeah. that song and just let's talk about that. Sure. Um, it's one of my favorite songs because um, it's fun to play musically. It really that's our song when we do live. My band really gets to kind of explore and take space for themselves, which I'm all about like in the band. Like I want my musicians to shine. 
Um, so musically, it's an exciting song to play. But content-wise, it's so fun because people do have a reaction to that song because it's one of the most like blatant um, of my songs. A lot of times, my messages um, will be kind of like hidden in metaphor or, you know, just put kind of tongue-in-cheek. You kind of have to think about the meaning behind it. Um, and I do that intentionally so as not to appear like this, like, feminazi that people are so scared about like mm -hmm. but that's a whole other thing mm -hmm. but presentame is one of my most like in your face kind of songs um and it's it's a story song about like a woman who's dating a man and then she falls in love with his sister and like is having a really honest conversation with him like hey uh you know i'm, I'm kind of into your sister like what's up presentamela you know and um it can be seen like people are like oh but isn't that like scandalous like you're framing the subject and like you know like isn't that's like super slutty and like rude and like you know i just wanted to open up this idea of like you know what sexuality is fluid and our hearts desire what they want um also touching on like lesbianism within the latino community like there's such a stigma against uh, against female relationships with other females whether it's just as friends or like uh, you know, a rom in a romantic or sexual way. I mean, lesbiana was a term, of, like a derogatory term in the 60s during the Chicano rights movement. Like they would, when women started to try to talk about femini feminism within that movement, like, ay, eres lesbiana, or eres una malinche. And so kind of just opening up like this idea that it's okay and it's perfectly normal and it shouldn't be something that people are ashamed of to follow your desires and follow your passions that's what that song's about. Um, and it's a funny, like, I find that humor is also a really good way to engage people in things that might normally turn them off or make them kind of flinch a little bit. Like, it's funny. The song is funny. The topic is funny. Like, but in a very real way, like, hum using humor and using music in order to bridge, like, these kind of difficult topics is what La Mera is all about. There's so much going on there and everything you just shared. <laughs> and um, I'm curious, even like the origins of your getting into making music and yeah. performing and how did you get started? And how did you make the decision to make cumbias in Spanish as opposed to like, I don't know, I don't know, even the right word, but like pop music yeah. or stuff in English? Like how does one like a Latina right now in L.A. decide that you're going to focus on cumbias well and especially with the message that i have i feel like a lot of there's a lot of that in english like Nicki minaj or like amy winehouse was like really open about like these quote-unquote scandalous like sexual songs um and so that avenue is definitely there but my history um i'm a third generation chicana i'm a pocha like you know um but my mom i grew up my mom was a, a salsera she sings as well um and so i grew up in that space going to gigs like and this was in the 90s up in the Bay Area. So like they weren't they wouldn't trip like, oh, the singer brought her daughter, like her 10 year old daughter's like sleeping backstage, <laughs> <laughs> like hanging out, like waiting for my mom to finish her badass set. Um, but so Latin music and salsa was a very, very much a part of my childhood and my upbringing. Um, so that when I first started making music, I was actually first really drawn to the world of ranchera and bolero. Mm. Um, and my first couple of years I spent, you know, just performing, street performing um, in San Francisco and Oakland. And that's where I got, quote unquote, discovered. Like a friend of mine had a cumbia group, didn't realize that I was a singer and happened to be like on the BART one day. Like, oh, shit, I know you. You're like over here singing Chavela Vargas songs and stuff. And he was like, you got a good voice. Um, we'd love to have you audition for this new group that's coming together. And 
at first I was like, ah, oh, cumbia, like, yeah, it's cool. But like, my heart is super into ranchera and like this other style of music. And he was like, just give it a chance, girl. So I did. And I stayed because the lore of that particular type of audience, like the, the energy that you receive from a dancing audience is so much different from a sit down. Like, you know, we're just going to watch you sing and it's beautiful and it's nice, but like, I I couldn't resist like when people are dancing and then they start learning your songs and singing along like it's this whole other experience. Um, so when I moved to LA, I didn't even question like, all right, I'm going to continue with the Latin music thing. I'm going to expand a little bit because originally I was just doing cumbia up in Oakland um, for about seven years. And when I came here, I really was interested in this idea of incorporating son cubano, like Caribbean flavors into my music. Um, so I started exploring that. I found really great musicians and it just wasn't even a question. Like there's so many great genres that you can pursue and there's so many great innovators out there, but I just feel really strongly about making a message within this style of music. Cause like I was saying before, this Latin music is so entrenched in these like systems of patriarchy and, you know, systems of oppression like to put it very bluntly like people kind of shy away from saying words like that but like it's true latin music has not been very supportive of women and um let alone women performers so i just really wanted to make my make my stand within it you know yeah and i i love that you're talking about just latin music in general and being receptive to women because right now in this current moment we're seeing a specific type of woman Mm. in the Latin genre getting a lot of shine and attention just won a Grammy, which is Rosalia. Right. You know, and she's incredibly talented, but it goes, it also raises the question as to who's allowed to perform Latinidad. Right. You know, when she's European, she's Spanish, there's a whole other conversation about that as well. Mm -hmm. But it, it is really interesting to see who's getting the accolades now. The Latin music is more mainstream, the like white Colombians, you know, doing reggaeton now, right. Rosalia doing uh, musica urbana and mm-hmm. like reggaeton flamenco, which is a really cool fusion. Yeah. But again, who's getting the recognition and who has been doing it for ages and decades, you know, generations, generations. generations. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. It makes me think of that scene um, <laughs> just because you brought up Selena, oh. right? In the movie where um, they're telling her basically like, you know, this music is for men. Like men dominate this music. You are never going to get anywhere. People don't want to see a woman singer. Or even think of like a Paquita La del Barrio who like we saw her perform at Tropicalia. And thinking about the fact that, you know, Homegirl has been singing about men are trash and patriarchy for a long time. And how there's almost like an archive there between like a Paquita and all these other women who are giants in the music industries mm-hmm. um, in Mexico and Latin America. And we can kind of look back at their lyrics and almost use them as a guide to sort yes. of trace like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. The tensions in the music industry and how they've had to make their way and use their lyrics to help like really solidify that history, which right. I think is super cool because you're doing that too with your own lyrics like you've described. Yeah, that's definitely my intention. And I just want to, as a little footnote to that, like, um, there are, um, like, my whole thing is not to say that there hasn't been women in the past who are making this choice and being very intentional about what they do in their performance. Paquita, Chavela, Selena, you know, all of these women, Celia Cruz, have been very important in creating a space for women within the music industry, um, especially within the Latin music industry. However, when you want to name powerful women that list 
takes only a few moments to create. But when you want to name male icons, you know, legends, like that list could go on for days. And so it's just, and it's not that we're not out here. We just have to create space and make ourselves heard because there are plenty of us out here doing cool stuff for the movement and for the music and for other mujeres. We're just, you know, we're facing some extra obstacles that maybe the males in our industry didn't have to face, but that we we're strong, like we're out here. Yeah. And I also think it's important to complicate our icons, right? Like, like you mentioned, like Selena's lyrics, like she has some like songs. I can think of like like, La Llamada, llamada. Cobarde, Mm -hmm. uh, Si Una Vez. There's a couple, right? There's a few. Um, but so complicating them, right? And okay, mm-hmm. thinking about the context of when she was creating music, it was the Tejano in music industry, mm-hmm. it being extremely male dominated. So seeing how she was navigating that. And I also want to add a footnote before one of our listeners tells us, I know that <laughs> Paquita La del Barrio has said transphobic things. Yes, so I want to acknowledge that uh-huh. and complicate an icon that like has been doing, talking about and singing about men being trash for years, but also <laughs> recognizing, you know, our, our icons can be problematic yes also doesn't erase like the path that they've created for other musicians for sure thank you for saying that yeah i mean and i feel like that's part of just such an ongoing conversation that with the death of kobe bryant Mm. anytime like a legendary figure passes away or we discuss anyone at all it's just the wholeness of their existence. Like, mm-hmm. it's something that they said. It's something that they did. It's part of their life, you know? Yeah. And it's like when we celebrate a person and their history, being cognizant of if we, we're selectively celebrating some things and intentionally overlooking everything else. Yeah. For sure. Well, this, like, romanticizing of, of people and, and icons, definitely. But, um, yeah, and it's not to say that as a whole, these people's lives didn't do some good. It's just to recognize, like, yes, there were some, they were a human being who sometimes made bad decisions like the rest of us do. Absolutely. Yes. So so let's talk about your album release. Yes. It's coming very soon. Yeah. Um, And that's one of the main reasons that you are here today to talk about your album release. You're having a release party as well. So Mm -hmm. please talk about that. I want to hear the lineup. It looks amazing. Please tell our listeners about it. Yes. I'm so excited. I like can't stop grinning about it. Um, so we're dropping the album, Si Reina, um, on February 21st, and we're doing a CD release at the Paramount in Boyle Heights. We've got some really amazing artists lined up. We've got DJ Sizzle, as you guys are know her very well, from Cumbiaton. Um, I've also got Weapons of Mass Creation from out in Long Beach doing some dope hip-hop soul stuff. And then Introverted Funk, who are kind of a newer group, but like I'm constantly blown away. Like when I see their set, I'm like, God, how have you guys only been together for a year? Like the the cohesiveness of their music is so beautiful. And Vettel just has this incredible stage presence. Like for such a tiny person, she's like four feet tall. (laughs) She's so tiny. But so I'm super excited about the lineup. Um, And so... As I had mentioned earlier, the album itself kind of, you know, is this um, woman empowerment, like queer voices, Latina voices. There's a lot of different topics that kind of get covered throughout the album. Um, And so when I was sitting down to plan the release, I really wanted it to be a a continuation of that celebration of Latina, you know, women out here doing cool shit. Um, And so I figured like there's plenty of bands I could ask who to join the bill that would probably be super down. But I really wanted to only ask other bands that have front women um, because it's a really important thing for me and I mean 
it, the title of the album is Sea Reina. Like, why not also use this release as a space to celebrate some of the fierce ass shit that's going on here um, in in Los Angeles? And and I also didn't want to solely con, uh, confine it to Latin music specifically. So I reached out to other Latinas who are doing cool stuff within their own genre. So like I said, we've got funk, we've got hip hop, DJ Sizzle kind of spans a lot of different genres. And then, of course, La Mera, we're going to be doing Cumbia Salsa. But so it's not only a bridging of different women um, doing cool stuff in Los Angeles, but it's also a bridging of different genres that have a lot of commonalities like black music, funk music, you know, hip hop and cumbia, salsa all have common ancestry um, from Africa and they've evolved into these separate genres, but there's a lot of commonalities. And so I really wanted to use the release as a space, not only to to recognize some really great up-and-coming Latinas in Los Angeles, but also to recognize um, the bridges that, that combine us or that bind us. Um, and so I'm actually hoping, and, and just to kind of throw this in there, I'm actually hoping to use this release as kind of a jumping point um, to do a series of shows that recognize other Latinas in Los Angeles. There's some really great groups out there right now that aren't getting the recognition that maybe they should. And it's a, it's a hustle and we're all out here. And like, as a woman in this industry, who's been in it for a decade, like I recognize that it's difficult. So I kind of was hoping to go into this next chapter of my life, um, to use whatever space I have access to, to help other Latinas, you know, work together, collaborate together, and create this solid space for ourselves, much like Sizzle did with Cumbiaton, creating space for undocumented queer folks um, in Los Angeles. Like, that's such an important space. And so kind of just building off of that momentum and and focusing specifically on Latin music, or uh, Latina musicians that are not specifically doing Latin music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so oh, I was going to say something else. What I was going to say, I don't remember. <laughs> No, that's great. And for um, our listeners who are new to you and your music, where can folks follow and support and keep up with you? Yeah, um, we're on all your favorite music streaming platforms. So whatever you use, just type in La Mera. Usually that's enough. And you'll see me looking all fierce with my <laughs> my big old uh, victory curls. Um, same on Instagram and Facebook, La Mera Candelaria. You'll be able to find us. Fab. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and congrats on everything. Thank you. Yeah. And can we play one of your songs yes! off your new album yes. on this episode? And can you introduce which song that would be, please? Oh, man. Um, I think that we should play Sirena, the title track. Um, it's actually already been released. It was one of our singles, but it's such a good one. And it kind of, you know, we were talking about it earlier. It, it kind of encapsulates the the theme of the album as well as the theme of our release party. We hope to see you guys all there on February 21st. All right. So before we go, we do want to announce a ticket giveaway that we're doing with La Mera Candelaria and the Paramount, which is where we had our three-year loca Tora. Ah, which is where we had our three-year Locaversary, Locatora Live podcast party. So to participate in this ticket giveaway, we are going to post a flyer of the event and you can tag two friends and follow La Mera Candelaria and of course follow us and the Paramount and we will be selecting a winner by Thursday, February 20th. Nice. We'll post the giveaway rules um, again. again on the Instagram. Yeah. So check our Instagram, check our feed, and all that info will be there. Yeah, just keep your eye out for that. All right, Locamores. Well, thank you for tuning in to another capítulo of Locatora Radio. Uh, you know what to do. You know where to follow. 
subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, all of that. Besitos. Besitos. <laughs>
Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.